Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hi, this is Henry Gilroy, co-executive producer of Star Wars Rebels. You're listening to Aggressive Negotiations. Welcome to Aggressive Negotiations, your home for a Star Wars talk, all the Star Wars talk here on the Nerd Party Network, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as he is every single week, the esteemed, the incredible, the bald, John Mills. Um, I disagree with esteemed and incredible, but bald is a completely true <laughs> statement. Uh, <laughs> hello, Jedi Master Matthew Rushing. I am excited for tonight's show. This is the end of uh, a, a really unique journey for us here on Aggressive Negotiations. Yeah. No, we're not ending. Not ending in the sense of like anything's ending except the, just this series that we're doing. Yes. So, yes. yes. No, uh, walking through uh, here all of the Mandalorian episodes as a commentary before we get to uh, season two has been, I think, just a blast for both of us. One, it's given us the reason to... Like we needed a reason to right. rewatch the season, bef- which we were going to do anyway. But uh, to be able to just talk through them uh, here on the show has, has been so much fun. Uh, and we hope that you have enjoyed it. Of course, uh, if you want to catch up with us and talk to us, we'd love that. You can do that on Twitter at the Jedi Masters. You can also find the entire network at Join Nerd Party. We're on Instagram at the Nerd Party. Uh, you can also find us online at thenerdparty.com where you can find all the shows we do you can go over uh to the contact section and you can send john and i an email we love getting emails from the listeners yes uh and then of course you can find us wherever you get your podcast so just make sure you're subscribed when you do you'll get the show as soon as it drops uh help us out you know just wherever you are or whenever you listen to the episode share it out to people let people know what you're listening to especially if you enjoy us and Give us a star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts because that really does help people find the show. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're on like Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, all yep. over the place these days. So, yeah, if you like us, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. But, uh, John, uh, I don't really think we need much preamble um, now that we're at this final episode, episode eight, Redemption. So, um, I think what we're going to do here. We've got everybody queued up. Hopefully, uh, you're on uh, Disney Plus. We're at all zeros, uh, and then I'll give us a countdown, and we'll get rolling. So I'm going to say three, two, one, play, and then we'll hit play. So here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right. All right. Disney Plus original. And the recap. Uh, You know, hey. We've said our piece about the recap. You know, interesting thing I was thinking of that I'd never really caught before, but the doctor with his, you know, his symbol that we recognize, you know, from from the cloners and everything like that, 
I never really realized it before, but it actually looks like a TIE fighter wing. Mm. I was thinking about it yeah. in my head. Yeah. And I was like, that's got to be on purpose, right? Or is that accident? Like, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's got to be just incidental, I guess. But mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this is so exciting, this this whole preview thing, and we're looking at everything that's happened throughout the season, and, and we know what's coming, this whole idea of, you know, Mando going to be on the search. You know, Din is going to be looking for more Mandos, right? Mm-hmm. And that we know the rumor, the idea of some of the people he's going to run into, you know, maybe a Sabine or, you know, Bo-Katan, those kind of things. And so I think it just really is exciting because in many ways, I think this show might be about somewhat the rebirth of the Mandalorians. I, I would love you know, it after if it were. everything that's happened to them. Uh, and so I, that to me is, is super exciting. Uh, and of course, maybe to just see how that plays out and to the rest of, you know, what we know of, of Star Wars now. So, And as much as I, uh, you know, I, I love everything that you're saying, playing in my brain ever since we saw the shot uh, just moments ago of that TIE fighter landing again is, may I please have that toy? May I please have the TIE <laughs> yeah. fighter that lands with the wings like that? What do I have to do? Please, please give me that toy. Yes. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the the figure or the the sh- the ship that they're putting out. Yes, uh, from yeah. Hasbro. Yeah, yes. it's incredible. So now we're we're gonna play into an interesting thing here because here we are with the uh, you know the biker scouts and or scout troopers or you know what have you and you know the child is riding along and it's it's bringing us up to speed. We can tell the child is you know being held captive. And they come to a stop here. It's great seeing this. And they're about to give us a whole bunch of stuff. We're getting more of an idea of how this operates for them. How did you feel when he hit the bag? I it just, yeah, he punches a child. And you're like, what kind of turd are you? Like, apparently, just the worst. Like... These are the low-level grunts of the Empire that were the worst, right? That this yeah. is what gave the Empire a bad name. Yeah, well, I mean, I just love that. Did he just say that Gideon killed his own man? Oh, who knows? Like, it's... it's, But that gives you an idea, too, that the Empire itself op- operated like this. We know it operated like this. Yeah. Vader killed officers for failure, right? Like, this is not totally atypical of a, a higher-ranking official to kill people that displease him for some reason. It's the rule through fear. I, I, you know, I know there were some people who didn't necessarily love this scene, but I felt like this scene was incredibly instrumental in showing us just how far the empire has fallen though, too, with these guys. I mean, they're out of practice with their blasters. You know, they're just kind of like bickering. Uh, you know, it 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 does go to show you that there's there's very little fight left in the Empire. But that's the one thing I didn't like about this scene was the firing of the blasters and missing the can. Oh. Because it leans so much into that what I will call fake trope of stormtroopers being awful shots. Stormtroopers are only awful shots when they're firing at the heroes. And never mind the fact that Leia does get shot. Uh, Like, they're, and it it just gets under my skin because I get what they're going for and I get its humor. I'm not like 
angry about it. I'm not, oh, I'm not going to watch season two. It's not like that. It's just, yeah. I don't like leaning into those sorts of jokes. It's, it was funny and great except for that one moment because it reduces their menace. As much as I might yeah. think the Empire sucks, as much as I might think these soldiers are jerks, so much as I think, oh my God, you, tu- you, you hit the child, I want to torch you alive. That just play it reduces their threat level, and therefore they're not right. as. It's when it gets to it's like when it gets too jokey in a Marvel movie, where it's like, a, yeah. well, you're just undercutting the threat. So, that's all I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, to it. me, this this whole scene uh, was, yeah. uh, I thought, uh, Taika, you know, putting his spin on things, mm-hmm. but in a very Star Wars way. Um, just even the whole thing where like they call the guy again. And he's like, "Oh, Moff Gideon just killed one of his guys. This could be a while." And he gets mm-hmm. off, and he's like, "Oh, this is ridiculous." You know, like they're just but that type just of stuff. Dudes that... trying to do their job at this point, right? But like that type of stuff, funny to me. I thought yeah. that was funny. It was just the it was the it was the stormtroopers can't yeah. hit anything yeah. joke that I just didn't like. Yeah, I, and I kind of took it more along the the lines of that it's the fact that they're blasters are old and probably haven't been taken care of right they did he did give the out of that where they shake the blaster where it's like you know the alignments because you do people don't realize this about guns is you do have to sight them you know after you use them over time you have to maintain them you have to sight them you have to do all those sorts of things um so how happy were you though when uh ig11 comes in and saves baby yoda I thought I thought it was great, and that was that was another example where it went right back to the type of humor I like. You know, they're, they're just mm-hmm. like a nurse droid. What are you talking? And they just wipes them out. Like that's a fun. Yep. That's fun humor. It's still part of his programming, right? You know? Exactly. Like- <laughs> Protection. Right. He still gets to brutalize just for a good reason. I really uh, the thing that I like is the fact that they have the scene with Gideon where he doesn't know what we know, that the child is not in there. I like the fact that he actually believes they have something he needs, but it also shows that disconnect because those scout troopers have the child. If he had taken or a moment, they had and, the child. <laughs> well, right. But if he had taken a moment, he'd realize the child wasn't in there. He just torches everything and it's done, and right. he just goes and gets the child. So it's a, it's it's an interesting sort of illustration of the break in the you know the chain of command and communication mm-hmm. that leads to well, also, military dysfunction. I think it shows. I mean, he's overconfident here. I don't think mm-hmm. he knows enough about this place to know there is any way for them out, right? He feels like he's got everything covered, which is classic imperial, you know, um, arrogance. You know, the same thing that the the uh, the empire is known for, mm-hmm. or the emperor. I do like. I love. I love the dialogue that they give to Gideon. And in Giancarlo Esposito, the way he delivers it is so, you know, your astute panic reveals, you know, like this guy has that, 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 that evil bravado that you love in a Star Wars villain. You know, he's using flowery language the way the Emperor did in Return of the Jedi. 
You know, it's right. almost this Shakespearean pentameter that's going on. Yeah. Well, and I also love the two that he knows who all these people are. Yeah. Kara uh, Cynthia Dune from Alderaan, you know, which is really cool. You know, the Mandalorian hunter Din Djarin. This is the first time we hear his name. Yes. Uh, the fact that he's involved somehow in the siege of Mandalore, you know, uh, so with this whole thing in the night of a thousand tears, like I want to know about it. He's dropping stuff. We're just like, we want to know what all of this is. And I I think it's really fantastic. And that grief Karga used to be a magistrate. So he was also part of the empire as well. Right. And so there's, there's this idea of what it plays into. I think also is the title of the episode redemption. We find out all three of these characters. We know a bit about the Mandalorian, but we've been finding out, about Cara Dune and Grief Karga, but now we have a really solidified what they want to redeem about themselves. Grief Karga is not quite redeemed from his past, and you know Cara Dune is trying to redeem her lost ways since leaving the Rebellion in the New Republic, and of course, Din right. Jaren is motivated by you know redeeming the legacy of the Mandalorians. Yeah, and I, I, people kind of made fun of this whole idea. But again, I think what we're really seeing here is he believes he has them completely trapped. Like, there's no way out. Uh, there, there's mm-hmm. no hope for them whatsoever. And uh, he's he's playing the hand that he believes he has. Basically, he, he feels like he has the highest hand in poker and they've got nothing, you know? Yep. So it's, I think it's... Um, and I love the mind flare. I love the the pull of that. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. just immediately thinking of Borgullet. Yes. Well. Well. I also like the fact that Grief Cargo says that was just propaganda. They didn't actually have anything like that. But this conversation for somebody who hasn't seen Rogue One still works, right? Because she says, yep. "I don't want to find out." You know, is it real? What is this? What's this question about the mind flare? But we've seen Rogue One, and so we say, "Oh no, they're real. We know they exist." Well, and this is where we find out, too, that the Mandalorians have changed, that they are not just a race. They have become a creed. Mm-hmm. You know, that after what he talked about on what happens to Mandalore, there is a difference between the Mandalorians we knew from the Clone Wars and the Mandalorians we know now to where they have begun to accept people that were, you know, uh, not born on Mandalore, but will live by the creed of what it means to be a Mandalorian. But I especially love that because it plays to the idea of a culture being as important as a genetic similarity, that your culture can be a unifying aspect. Right. And you have to be open to that idea. And that, of course, plays very much into the sort of sociological layers of Star Wars to begin with, because Mm -hmm. from the very beginning, we know that Lucas came into it with this mythological, sociological sort of you know, symbolism and stuff like that. And so it really, really works to ha- to have that. I mean, we've, we've sung praises about how the Mandalorian culture has evolved. And I know that in season two, I mean, if they're bringing in Bo-Katan, we're going to learn even more about it. Oh, yeah. So it's absolutely. really, you know, setting up a really interesting arc. And I still think it's terrific. I, I know we said this in the discussion during episode seven, but this really solidifies. This is basically the season premiere for uh, season two. And so I was thinking about it where you could watch just episode seven and eight and jump right into season two, I think. And so in a sense, I love 
the first season even more because it's like my much maligned. It's almost like a, a lesson in my, you know, our much maligned prequel love where it is. It shows how that stuff is still important because these episodes have even more meaning than just a jump off point because right. we've gone on that journey building up to it. Well, and I love this whole thing, too, that we're we're in right now specifically of showing you the entire scene of how mm -hmm. Din almost dies and then gets rescued by the Mandalorians who come in and it's Death Watch mm -hmm. that comes in. And so it really makes me wonder. Well, do we know for sure it's Death Watch in specific? Well, because they have the the Death Watch symbol on their oh uh, wow one of the paladins oh right so, okay yeah I had forgotten that yeah even better so, reason to go back and rewatch everything yeah right um, but I, I think that's what makes it so interesting because you you see then um, you know after the Clone Wars uh, were the Death Watch the ones you know under the leadership maybe of Bo Katan who uh, helped change the mandalorians you know mm -hmm. um and so uh, obviously this is taking place during the clone wars this whole scene because we've seen the you know the droids the super battle droids and the droid gunships you know coming in um but it it leads you to wonder like um you know because is death watch you know what we saw in the clone wars it's it's just a piece of them right mm -hmm. there may have been other offshoots as we know with bo katan there were people who really believed that they were doing what was right for mandalore mm -hmm. um and that's really the place where it's like with her connection as, as a connection point that's really going to play so much into where we go i think with the rest of this series and the mandalorians themselves i love the fact that they basically jujitsued everybody into having to watch the clone wars and rebels yeah, <laughs> because what it's what so happens cool. what happens after this is people like you and me and and people listening and everything like that is we're going to encounter people that are like oh that was so neat oh that was so cool well if you'd like to learn more about Death Watch and the Mandalorians visit your local library or tune into the Clone Wars and Rebels also available on Disney Plus yep. and have a great time yeah I, it's just I, anything that gives previous work more weight mm -hmm. and vice versa is and you know again we talked about this like the, just the masterful storytelling of throwing out there the the fact that this works on its own but is even better if you know the rest of it right well and i i think you know star wars above any of the other franchises right is about connecting points mm -hmm. you know um, but at the same time, then being able to open uh, you up to tell other stories. Uh, and I think this is one of the things that makes this so great. And, you know, as we watch the scene <laughs> with the child laughing as I uh, IG-11 comes in and just wrecks shop in this yeah. town, which is phenomenal. Um, yep. You know, I, I, I love it. I think it makes um, for uh, I, I think it's what makes our love of Dave Filoni so valid, I believe, is because mm -hmm. I see the way he's using these connecting points, as George always did, as jumping off points to tell new stories. But the thing is, it works just like the serials that that uh, yep. inspired Star Wars to begin with was they played Saturday mornings. At, they You had to be able to plug into it. Somebody might miss yep. a week. Yep. You, you, had yep. To, you had to make it easily accessible for everybody. Man. Oh. Uh, yeah. 
IG-11, uh, you know, I hope somehow he gets, he, they find a way to make him return. You know, I would love to see it. Like, maybe his head survives and he gets a new body. I don't know. Uh, but just, he he just comes alive in this whole scene, and it's brilliant. I agree. I don't want him to come back at any point. Oh, I love, I love the shot Oof, of yes. the Mandalorian coming out and grabbing the guy's gun, shooting the other guy. Like, yep. it is such a... Uh, Bad oh, mofo him taking move. on Death Troopers too is great. Yes, I love when the Death Troopers tries to shoot him and it just bounces off, and yep. he's just like, "What?" Yeah, I it's, I I I am constantly in awe of how well directed the action is in this show, and I oh, think yeah. I think that's also a very very big deal um, in terms of uh, Taika Watiti as a director as well. Because we're all fans of his, you know, like whether you love Thor Ragnarok or Hunt for the Wilder People or What We Do in the Shadows or I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit yet or whatever. He's not known for directing action. This, I I know Thor Ragnarok sort of, but like this type of action, this is legit, you know, hardcore action with no real jokey element to it. And so yeah. I think that's a really big deal for him to add this to his repertoire. And I got to say, too, what I lo- really appreciated about Taika, you know, I-, I might not have loved everything he's done, but what I really, I, I took, um, I-, I have such respect for him after watching the making of series when he was talking about mm-hmm. how uh, he came in and he was willing to tr- do his thing, but at the same time be told if he had gone too far, you know, mm-hmm. by John and Dave, like he truly respects Star Wars enough to put himself in that position, you know, well, to be like, I don't know everything. And so if, if I'm doing something that's not Star Warsy enough, you need to tell me, you know, well, and, that, and that's such humility. It's the mark of a great director is being willing yep. to listen to your collaborators and say, you know what, maybe just to your point, yes. It's the mark of a of a truly great director is somebody who is willing to work with people as opposed to just say, this is what I did and right. this is what we're doing. Well, and it, I mean, again, it's the difference between, you know, uh, I can hear people right now saying like, well, what about George Lucas? And I'm like, well, Star Wars yes. is George Lucas. And George well, Lucas is Star Wars. But on There's top of a that, total difference. on top of that, Lucas did listen to his collaborators. That's very true. He did. Were there moments where Lucas said, no, that's what I want and I'm going to get it? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, he he would let stuff come in. The Scout Walkers exist in uh, The Empire Strikes mm-hmm. Back because he said, you know what? If you can do it, do it. Yeah. And, th- and there you go. And in terms of the designs, he didn't like come in with like sketches or anything. He would just walk in and be like, that one, I like that one. And the reason we get such great design work in Star Wars is because they say to the the art team, show me what you got. And you walk in and you say, okay, mm-hmm. that that's what I was thinking about. That's what I wasn't thinking about. It's how we get Grievous, right? I'll never forget right. that behind the scenes thing with, with episode three for the design of Grievous, how it was basically a competition. And he just came in with his stamps, you know, which one got the Fabuloso stamp, right? What I what I really like about this scene is is you know the 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 wonderful being able to see the flame trooper finally in yes. real life it's fantastic I want that figure but um the fact that we see 
Kara so she she will she did she's not gonna leave Din here. Right. Like she is so invested in him not dying. And what I really love is that you can feel the soldier in her coming back out. Like mm-hmm. this is a brother in arms now and the the last thing she wants is to leave a man behind. Yep. And I just I think it it's pulled off so well, you know, between her and and uh, Pascal here. I think it's great. But let me also throw this at you is a couple of things. One, of course, we all love like when I saw Baby Yoda, you know, come up and raise his arms. This is some beautiful filmmaking right here. Yeah, it's it is. The music is perfect. The the shot selection is perfect. The Like everything about it is absolute perfection. And forcing the flames back and 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 coming through here, you know, the flames are pushing back. He, one final flip blows up the flame trooper. Beautiful moment. And then I layer on top of that how far we've come in terms of flame simulation since, yeah. <laughs> since 2005. That's incredible. That blew our minds when we saw the, the fire on Anakin in 2005. I was like, wow, that looks like the real deal. And I look at this scene and I think to myself, I know they didn't set the volume on fire. Mm-hmm. I know that that did not happen. That is really crazy how far that type of effect has come in 15 years. It is insane Mm -hmm. how far it's come. I love this moment too, again, because like Kara is just like, promise me you'll bring him. IG is like, yes, you have my word. And Mm -hmm. I I love this is the, the smartest way of obviously getting around the fact that nobody's allowed to see his face that's alive. And IG is like, I'm not alive. You know, I, uh, yes, it's perfect. I, uh, can honestly say that when he said, you know, no living being has ever seen my face, right? <laughs> as soon as he said it, I said, but IG's not alive. And then IG says, yep. but I'm not alive. I was like, yes, the loophole. That's the Star Wars loophole right there. I don't remember ever owning a droid. I mean, sure, I know R2-D2, but, you know, hey, you know, we're kind of playing loosey-goosey here with with Elf. Well, I mean, he never <laughs> owned R2-D2, so. Very, very true. And R2 also Just looked saying. like. I mean, how many R2 units did, exactly. did Obi-Wan go through? Well, so. <laughs> ne- well, never mind. Yeah, right. Never mind the fact that on the the Naboo Star Cruiser, there were other droids that looked just like R2-D2 on there. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's your explanation for why Obi-Wan doesn't look at him. Like, oh, hey, R2, the only blue and white astromech droid that exists in the entire galaxy. I love the idea of like the back to spray and that it's mm-hmm. going to be able to heal him. And uh, the fact that <laughs> it but it's not going to be uh you know just right away it's 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 gonna take time i think yep. that's smart uh and 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 it's not until you know a, a good few hours later in the scheme of the episode you know it, it that he is okay you know so i, do I think find, it's it's excellent i also find it interesting that it's the one scene we get with pedro pascal outside of his helmet yeah and it is so noticeable specifically because in the Marvel movies, they basically just never, their faces were always showing, right? And it used to drive, you know, my friend Craig, used to drive him nuts. Yeah. Cap never has his helmet on. It used to drive him up a wall. He's like, why isn't Cap wearing his helmet? And it's like, this respects the whole idea of 
of the mask and the armor. And I I hate the rumor that that flew around recently where Pedro Pascal threw a fit and said, no, my face needs to be seen more. It's like, there's no way he made it through this entire first season and didn't realize exactly how little play his face was going to get on screen. He's accepted it. He knows it's fine. Yeah. I love this too, is that, you know, he's, he's getting lost down there. And, and I love all the things that we, we realize these hel- helmets can do, you know, mm-hmm. the reason they wear them, you know, is, is not just because they're hiding their face, but they have actual value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this to me was one of the most heartbreaking scenes Yeah, when we realize what the empire has done to those that were left over in the coven um, and how many of them had given their lives you mm-hmm. know, for coming out to the world that they were here. Uh, and then, of course, the Empire arriving and doing, you know, what they do best. Yep. Uh, and so, and and I was not expecting, honestly, the first time to see this, to have the armorer show up again. I figured she would just be among the dead. I also think it's interesting because I want to ask you this question. Do you think the client or Moff Gideon had this done after the... Uh, revelation of the covert being there. I think the client through Moth Gideon's uh, people, uh, you know, like he he had sent all of the people there. I just um, I want to so. tie Moth Gideon into it just because it's obvious. I think that Moth Gideon has a special obsession with the Mandalorians. He knows about them. He has history with them. And he knows who Din Jaren is. There's a real, real sense. But also, all of these dead Mandalorians, I think, give us an idea of where he got, maybe got the information of who Din was. Because undoubtedly, yeah. they oh, knew yeah. his name. Probably tortured them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I love this, too, of how matter of fact the armor is. Mm-hmm. Like, these, these women... Uh, these people helped you escape and and uh, that you were meant to get off world and and they did what they needed to do we will survive and i love how you know she's saying here because you know again we we know how this armor if it is made of beskar how important it is yeah. to them and so her job here is to melt it down so that uh they can then use the beskar later on i i, I think um, what they're doing is they're showing us how important all of these things are to the Mandalorians. And it's not just about it being a cool suit of armor. It's so much more. You know, something I'm thinking of while we're watching this scene where they're in the underground and they're in the armorer's lair and everything is there's a lot of similarity to my eye between this cinematography and the way that Solo looked. Solo, a Star Wars story, which you and I yep. both love. But somehow, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and I'm going to throw uh, fellow The Nerd Party uh, co-host, but also founder of The Nerd Party, Tristan Riddell, under the bus. He habitually rags on Solo because he thinks it looks terrible. He thinks it's too dark. I've heard that complaint from other people. Nobody makes that complaint with The Mandalorian. Do you see anything substantively different in the way these scenes are lit from the way that say for instance the fight between Han and Chewie on Mimpin was lit and those sorts of things no I mean uh, this scene absolutely reminds me of the lighting that you see uh, at the the lodge 
there. Right. Same. Um, yeah. It absolutely reminds me of that. So, uh, you know, so this this is so beautiful. This whole thing, and, and again, here we are learning um, about the Mandalorians. We learn um, this that he has made uh, an enemy, an ally. You know, with a child. We've learned that the Mudhorn can officially become his signet, which I think is beautiful. The idea yeah. that that um, this child needs to be reintroduced to its own kind. Um, and we learn about these sorcerers that mm-hmm. uh, the Mandalorians have had battles with. And what I think is gorgeous here is that the Mandalorians, whereas the sorcerers used to be their enemies, they now possibly don't see them that way. And that may be because of characters that we are well familiar with uh, right. from the Rebels series specifically. Uh, right. And so... Uh, I think what I love is how they're really already building that into, like you said, this is this is basically the preamble for season two. And there is the fact that I know that there are people that I know personally who wish, quote unquote, that Star Wars would get away from lightsabers and Jedi. And all I can say to that is how can you get away from something that is so you're you're ba- that's like you're having Harry Potter without magic wands. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. a part of the DNA. If you don't like that, go watch Star Trek. I that's fine. I like Star Trek as well. That's great. But the magic and the lightsabers, that's part and parcel of what the the reality mm-hmm. that we're dealing with here. It's fine if those work their way in. What I think is still pretty funny is how Kara, she's still not, yeah, I'm sure the child's cute to her, but she's just not into the baby thing, you know, right. and I kind of, I kind of appreciate that. Um, I also love finally getting the jet pack. Yes. Finally getting the jet pack. Uh, and what I also love of this idea is that they are part of, um, like not every Mandalorian learns to have a jet pack, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and so this is something that is is particular to a certain kind and and uh, Mandalorians who've actually trained in it. So um, it's just it's really cool, uh, and it, it's such a momentous moment for him to finally get this. Uh, so well, well, we feel like this is also this is a defining characteristic of the armor. Yeah, we like he is incomplete without the jetpack because the way we see this Mandalorian armor, the first time we ever encountered it, Mm -hmm. Boba Fett had the jetpack. We didn't see him use it until return of the Jedi, but he had the jetpack. It was always there. And so no, it doesn't feel complete until he has it. And it just keeps raising more questions about, and you and I have gone back and forth about this, whether Jango Fett was actually a Mandalorian. Right. And, if the jetpacks, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll find out more, I'm sure, going forward. Can uh, we talk about what a complete badass the armor is? This oh, may be one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars. Uh, like, legitimately. It's just, the like you were talking about, the action, the way this scene, yep. when she just t- totally demolishes all of these guys, and then, you know, you see her mm-hmm. just break across the faceplate, and it just bashes the whole thing up part yes amazing it's beautifully edited and choreographed it really really is and i 
love the idea that the armor is that much of a a fo- like a force to be reckoned with. Oh yeah, because we yeah. know her. No in blasters used. She right. just beat the crap out of them with her weapon and like what she uses to to make armor. <laughs> and then, how can you not love again? Getting back to classic Star Wars, you have to cross the river Styx to exit the underworld, right? Like how how insane is this? How beautifully constructed is it? Uh, yeah. It is the the whole thing. I I really enjoy you know them all trying to figure out ways to get it. You know, Kara's uh, gonna shoot it. You know, to try and break up, break it up, and uh, you know, it and it works. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so it's sort of uh, what they I would like. Call... With He's like, watch your feet. It's lava, and she's like, no kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I also love her shooting. Is a um. It's almost like a callback to the radio dramas, the quote unquote Han Solo solution. Shoot and get out. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah, it. Yeah. I I really enjoyed this strange combination of like an R2 unit and mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. Uh, it also sounds like they used the uh, exact uh, like uh, beeps and boops from the Clone Wars uh, for that. Remember that evil droid that was Anakin's when yeah. R2 was missing? Yeah, yep. I'm pretty sure that's the same sounds. I, 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 good ear. I, I think you're probably right, but I also, like, it's again, it's something familiar, but looked at a little differently. But it also leads to the question of who built this thing? Yeah. Who, who built the droid? And, and, and this boat and everything like that. How old is this? Like that, and, and that's the fun. That's the part of Star Wars that I have always loved is that little hook. It's that little thing where I'm going to write a thousand stories in my head. Well, maybe it was this. Well, maybe it was this. Maybe mm-hmm. it's been there for a thousand years. Maybe it's been there for 50. You know, like I just think that those are the little flares, the little flourishes that make Star Wars so amazing. Of course, her her plan to shoot doesn't work out quite as well when she deals with no, the uh, no. the fairy the droid. droid. Yeah. And and it's IG eleven. Yep. It's IG. He's finally get to use that self destruct. God bless him. <laughs> but even beyond that, he's the one that, you know, they're all like, "We're going to fight our way out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that." And it's because they know they can't die because if they die, then the the child, they're not going to kill the child. The child is vulnerable. And IG-11 is the one that says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the only one that can do this. So it's got to be me. Well, and and, and what's great about this moment is just the fact that it we've gone through this whole thing of him hating droids. And now mm -hmm. he has feelings for this droid. He he does not want this droid to die like and it's 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 been a a whole arc for him it has it's been a great arc it's been a great arc for both of them but i also love the line when he sets the child down and he says i can no longer carry this for you there seems to be so much weight with that sort of line about how somebody can help you carry your cross somebody can help you through a difficult time and it's such a simple line but it's so beautifully written i can no longer carry this for you this is yours now. You have to complete the mission. Mm-hmm. That is 
you know, it, it, it's it's like Tolkien. It's you have to carry the ring. You have to be the one to do this. And I, it's such a simple line, but it's such a beautiful line. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. And, you know, it. there's that moment, too, where Din's like, I'm sad. And he's like, there's nothing to be sad about. I was never alive, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it shows how we as humans can give things like droids a personality and 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 put a sense of of being on them even when it might not necessarily be there because they're legitimately just tools Mm -hmm. um but star wars does a great job of of allowing these type of characters to become friends like us to feel as if they're friends right and i I think that's something that george did really well yes Mm -hmm. they're tools but um we can also treat them as more than that um, and, and we place yep. that on them. You know, it's not necessarily that they are that. And by placing that on them, it creates these characters to which we come to know and love. Yeah. And I also think that there's, um, it's a, a, a beautiful way for it to have been directed and edited to have that shot of at least two of the stormtroopers dropping their weapons and realizing what's about to happen before the explosion. It's it's a trope, but it's very important. And the TIE fighter coming in, do you get the sense here that he just actually doesn't even care about capturing the child now? It's just kill them all. Just be done with it. Yeah, I get the I do get the feeling like he do the magic hand <laughs> magic thing, baby. Hand thing. That, is, that is a line <laughs> that will live forever. And he just waves at him. <laughs> But seriously, think about that. The long, the long, many decades long career of uh, legacy of Star Wars and do the magic hand thing, baby, is right up there with I love you, I know, and I have a bad feeling about this. How many people use do the magic hand thing, baby? Like it's it's a part of our lexicon now. Yeah. Um, You know, I just I think uh, you mentioned does even care. And I think Gideon does seem to be at this point where he 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 might be willing to sacrifice because and I think part of that is he is a he's not quite stable. Many of these warlords yeah. just are not quite stable, right? And they care more about their personal pride than they actually even do their own plans. And um so uh I think it is um it is telling here uh, just kind of how unstable this dude is, uh, that he's willing to like give up this child that he's been fighting for this whole time he thinks is really important mm-hmm. uh, just to kill them all because they got away from him. Well, I think so. there's also an aspect of if I can't have the child, no one can. Uh, yeah. 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 And I also think uh, this whole scene is just so well done. Uh, the it looks great. It looks mm-hmm. incredible. Oh my gosh! Uh, yes. The special effects work. I think ILM knocks it out of the park. The entire season, obviously. Um, I also <laughs> think it's telling that you know that it does not blow up. Yes. Uh, the the ship. So you were like, oh, oh no, he's not dead. I knew. So. As, I knew as soon as it didn't blow up. But I also know uh, that Slave One does blow up at one point in the Clone Wars and comes back later. So you know. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it was a different ship rechristened slave one, you know, who knows. Yeah, or or there was 
some of it left and it's right. rebuilt, you know. Hey, listen, so, we, we live yeah. it we live uh with the possibility that the second Death Star, enough of it survived for doors to still be working. So yeah, you know it's true. I can look yeah. the other way. But if there had been an explosion, we wouldn't buy what's about to come up here. But man, just the the volume is so <laughs> some of my favorite people yeah. are bounty hunters. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> What I, I what I think is great about this uh, this final scene is how you get this idea that you know he's got these friends he can call up now when he's in need. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be most likely working together, uh, and uh, you know, and and again, uh, we see here, you know, Din has has been able to do the thing that he 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 wanted to, which was to clear his name with the bounty hunter guild. So that he can get on with the mission of mm-hmm. finding this child's people, and uh, I think uh, I, I love that this whole season has been about completely altering the life of Din Djarin to making him into somebody who would give up everything that he wants for somebody else. Yeah. Which isn't that the Star Wars story, which is to go from the selfish to the selfless. Well, and I love the line from Grief Karka, or maybe it'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. And just this, this and hasn't this, it already? But this shot also that mirrors Din being taken yep. away. Yep. And seeing the the similar, you know, you you pay back the kindnesses that were done to you, mm-hmm. and that it's important to do that. I also uh, really love that he goes yeah. back and he buries Queel. Uh, I think it, that's that's a great moment. So. Well, Quill deserves at least that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And this is another thing that I think is so so important for, you know, shooting in the volume and everything. And we, we've talked about this before, but beautiful shots like this are more beautiful because the reflections off of his armor are so much yeah. more yep. real and natural and the lighting in the cockpit can be... And this goes back again, we were talking, you know, goes back to Solo where they would have the stuff on the screen so that they could have interactive lighting with the 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 actors on set. Oh, oh, the child. The child is so wonderful. I also love, too, that he gives him his Mandalorian necklace, you know, the mm-hmm. one that he was probably given when he became a foundling. Uh, yeah. and, and now he has his foundling. But a foundling, he's destined not to take in necessarily. To, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a foundling who's meant to be returned to his own people and, and not turned into uh, a Mandalorian. And can I just say how much I'm glad this was not a stinger, what we're about to see? That yeah, this was worked yeah. into the flow of the actual episode because it gives it more weight and it's not a cheat. And also you have the Jawas come back in. Jawas are a galaxy-wide nuisance. I love that. Yeah, on every planet, apparently. Right. Man, could it be any cooler to finally see are, the dark What was your reaction? In real life? Uh, I, I can't say it on the show because it's a family show. Um, suffice it to say, it was something along the lines of, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. I can tell you that I actually stood up off of the couch saying what you said. Where yeah. I, 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 and I had my hands on the side of my head, going, "Yeah, are you I kidding me? It. Are you bleeping I kidding me?" It. I, I, and yeah, oh, it's just—I mean, it makes 
season two so exciting to get to. So let me ask you, though. We have that incredible reveal at the end of uh, the first episode. I think for a longtime fan, seeing the Darksaber in that scene at the end of season one had as much impact as seeing Baby Yoda for the first time. It was like, you can't ignore it anymore. The Darksaber is legit. Everybody has to acknowledge its existence. I'm not just a crazy pants fan off in the fringes who's seen everything now. Now you all know what this is. I, you know, I think I had not honestly put that together, but I think that is a phenomenal way of kind of thinking about how how the first episode did that with the reveal, mm-hmm. and then this last episode does the same thing with the reveal that leads you into season two. Yeah, in a way that has you jumping off the couch, screaming all sorts of expletives because you just cannot believe what you just saw, and. Right. Yeah, it's fantastic. But for the casual fan, it's, oh, that's interesting. He has a lightsaber. That's a weird-looking lightsaber. Whereas for us, it's, again, it gets back to that whole thing we talk about, like the the fan service that they do is all done in that right way. It's It's not forced. It's a part of the story. And it even makes so much sense. I never expected it, but I think about it. It makes so much sense, not just in a story aspect, but also in the aspect that, uh, John Favreau had something to do with the reveal of the dark saber in the first place. So he either brought yeah. that with him or Filoni said, Hey, you remember the dark dark saber? Like I could almost imagine that conversation where, you know, they're, they're sitting there and they're, they're just high concepting it at that point. It's like, Oh, you know, you think the dark saber could come into it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember the dark saber. That thing was awesome. You know, like, and then Dave sitting him down and showing what the dark saber meant uh, you know, he's like, oh, watch these episodes of Rebels. You really like that. You know, like it just feels like it feels like such a, a naturally joyous moment for them to piece together yep. to work it into the series. I, I'm sorry to, to be rambling. on. No, no, that, no. But, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's one of those things that um, I'm expecting that this season of The Mandalorian uh, to be one that um, feels even more cohesive than the first season. Uh, I think part of that is that this this first season allowed them, just like every... Uh, look, we love this, this show, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we've also criticized certain places where we felt like the show uh, didn't necessarily lived up, live up in the way that it could have for every single episode. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is one of the things that we're going to see is that they're going to have learned from the first season uh, and and as we move into the second season, it's going to be even better than we thought the first season was because I think, again, I think what they're really going to do is this this series is going to be even more tightly scripted from one episode to the next Um, and it's going to be phenomenal. I agree. Uh, However, I, I also wrote a blog and the thing is, this is the end of our commentary for episode eight. We are on the precipice of season two right now. We are right there. And I want to reassure everybody. I want to give everybody the warm hug. I wrote a blog about this over on KesselJunkie.com. But be prepared for a wave of people talking about how disappointed they are, about how much they don't like it as much as the first season, about how they think it's small universe to bring this person or that person in. Be ready for it. This is inevitable. It happens with every single show that has a 
gonzo first season response. It's okay. We're all going to get back to that happy place. But be prepared for that first episode of season two when everybody says, oh, I wish they dropped it more. I would, it, it, It's going to happen. We're all going to get through it, and it's going to be okay. I, I just... I want to be that guy. I want to say, I want, I'm, this is my preemptive sort of pep talk to everybody. It's going to be okay if not everybody is on board with the first episode of the second season. It's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I could see, I could see that happening, happening too. Um, but I, I wonder if where we are, if we're not just so starved for something to be good Hmm. you know and for something new if people if if people might be on the other side too so Mm -hmm. i don't know but i mean you know for the for majority of things i mean gosh um you know i've heard people say who are who are you know alive enough to have really been into star wars once empire came out that that there was a letdown for some people with empire and that some people were like oh this isn't as good you know oh so this will blow your mind I'm sorry, this will blow your mind. You can look it up on YouTube. There is an actual fight on Nightline with Ted Co- with Ted Koppel when Empire Strikes Back came out where Siskel and Ebert were defending it against a critic who was laying into it. Yoda was dumb. It's just a puppet. It's a kid's movie. This is just proof that it, it can't sustain it, that sort of thing. So I, I'm just, you know, it, it's just you know, going along with you and me both, you know, going back and forth on that. It exists for Empire Strikes Back because the thing is, I, you raise an incredible point because most people, we've lost that. We, we've forgotten that Empire had any negative reaction whatsoever, but it did. And you can look it up on YouTube and you can see this confrontation, Siskel and Ebert, Empire Strikes Back, Nightline. And you will see this conversation where there was a critic dragging the Empire Strikes Back. And Siskel and Ebert are basically in disbelief. Like, well, what movie did you watch is basically the... So it's eternal. It, it's, it's there. And, it, and it's going to have... And, and trust me, as somebody who had to defend Return of the Jedi for most of his fandom, like it, it, people started ragging on that after Clerks came out in, in the 1990s. It, it it's just it it all comes back to that just it, it's you know <laughs> let's just jump in and love it man uh, i'm there yeah well we are obviously <laughs> we're just so excited because uh as this drops uh, we'll be a day away from uh mm-hmm. the new season happening and we hope you guys have enjoyed us just walking through these episodes. It's been an honor for us to to be able to do that and and, and uh, have you listen to them. So uh, again, find us uh, you know at the Jedi Masters and and hit us up with what you think uh, about what we've uh, been talking about. But John, if uh, anybody wants to catch up with you specifically, maybe see what else you've got going on because it's not just aggressive negotiations. Where can people find you? Well, you know, this is where I love to spend most of my time. Matt, let's be honest. But you can also find me over in KesselJunkie.com. Uh, that's my domain where I, I, I've been writing for a long time at this point. And uh, I don't know when the streak is going to end, but I, I don't have the stamina to keep going. So K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E.com. I write about more than Star Wars. I share art that I do on that site as well. So feel free to, to check that out. I'm Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice, uh, including Twitter, which is just 
for some reason, it's harder to quit than smoking for me. I, I don't know why. Uh, but just look for Kessel Junkie anywhere, and you can find me. Uh, and over on the Nerd Party, here on the Nerd Party, I should say, you can find me on several archived shows like Great Shot Kid, Retro Perspective. You can find me on archived shows over on, over on Trek FM. And you can find me on a show called House of Fincher, which is uh, we go through all of the works of David Fincher in the lead up to his Netflix movie, Mank. Uh, and we talk about each directorial effort. And you can find me actually appearing fairly frequently on one of the places you can find Matt, which is uh, over on the 602 Club over on the TFM network. So, Matt, where can people find you? Yeah, of course, uh, on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero, you can find me under the name MattRushing02, as well as follow the 602 Club, which is the show that John was just mentioning, that he is a frequent guest on as we're talking about all the fandoms we love, not just Star Wars, but we do talk Star Wars there, of course. Uh, you can also find me doing, uh, over there on TFM, The Orb, as well as Literary Tracks with Chris Jones, the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then here on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman, as each and every week we are talking about Harry Potter one chapter at a time. But John, I think it's time for us to head back to the temple, because honestly, I need a nap. This is the way. Join the nerd party. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.